this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Thank you, Pastor Nate. Thank you, Open Door Church. Funny story about that book to continue that story. Um, when I needed that book, I reached out to an uh, older pastor and said, hey, can I borrow this book? Because it was an expensive book. And he's like, every good pastor needs that book in their library. So I purchased it, and then I wasn't taking it to Columbia, so I gifted it. Because that was not, I was not hauling that with me down to Columbia. But uh, we are the Jimenez family. Um, I think we have a slide for that somewhere. And uh, we travel all over the country right now. We're traveling to raise funds to go back to Columbia. And since we are all over the country and we're in different states and different regions of the, of the U.S., I like to clarify, I am Josh and this is Carolyn. Because sometimes you don't know anymore. So I just like to throw that out there. I'm glad a couple people laugh because I'll tell that joke till nobody laughs and then I won't tell it anymore. But uh, God has called us to the country of Columbia. If you go to the next slide, there'd be a picture. We started out in Medellin, Colombia, and then in God's miraculous doing and prayer and asking and begging on somebody else's part, we moved to Bogota. Bogota is a city of just over 10 million people. We are from Grand Junction, Colorado, folks. We are not city. I am not a city person. <laughs> when we talk missions, I told my wife, let's go to the jungle. My wife said, let's go to a city. And uh, we, we, we talked about it. We um, kind of decided on Medellin because it was only 3.5 million. And then God in all his wonder has placed us in a city of just over 10 million people. So uh, we're called to the country of Colombia. We're called to Bogota. We're called to reach the other five is the Latin American Caribbean motive right now. What that is is one in six people in Latin American and Caribbean have yet to hear an adequate representation of Christ. So we're going after the other five. Just this last week, we were on a Zoom call with our boss um, and some other missionaries and our, our head honcho, Jefe, we'll call him Jefe. He mentioned he was in a church service last week there in Columbia, and the pastor asked, he said, how many of you in this church, um, your parents raised you, brought you to church? And other than our missionary, our boss and his wife, and maybe one or two other couples in this church raised their hands which means there's a need for people to hear about Christ. There's a, new, there's a first generation of Christians coming in, and there's a need to disciple them. And my wife's going to explain to you how we reach the other five. It's great to be here with you guys this morning. If, oh, sweet, you're like on it. I never have people who are on slides. I'm always like, next, next. So thank you. Um, when we were in Colombia last time, uh, they asked us to move to Bogota, and we prayed about it, and we decided that we would take the step of faith and go. But um, we were kind of like interns last time. We were what was called missionary associates, so it meant we had a missionary who was over us, supervising us, and they said, we need to find you a new supervisor because yours needs to go home and fundraise so they said we think your friends who live in Bogota would be the perfect supervisors for you and we kind of all looked at each other and we're like well we kind of all dreamed about that while we were studying language together in Costa Rica but I don't know if that's going to work for us because they work in a deaf church and Josh and I 
talked to him and we're like, you know, we're struggling to learn Spanish, right? You want us to learn Colombian sign language too? And they're like, no, 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 it's going to be okay. They said, just come. Um, you can help in the deaf church as much as you want, but we really need someone to come in and plant a hearing children's ministry to the deaf community. All the parents in the church were deaf and their children were hearing, and they didn't have a place where they could attend church together as a family. What would generally happen is the parents would go to deaf church one or two times a month, and they would go to a hearing church one or two times a month for their children, so the whole family wasn't being fed at the same time. The whole family wasn't able to receive the word of God together. And so we got to Bogota, and we started this kids' ministry, and uh, we were a little nervous, but we jumped in feet first, and our friend said, okay, Carolyn, uh, Josh and I have to go to the jungle this weekend to help at another church. Um, there's a team coming in to build, so you're up. It's your turn to do kids' church by yourself, and I smiled, and I said, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I was like, just give me a lesson, and he's like, I have the lesson in English, and I said, thank you, John. I said, I will translate it and get ready. And it was on salvation that week. But what I realized is in all of language school, all of our preparation, no one had taught me the sinner's prayer in Spanish. And so I just really like struggled. I was like, okay, God, you're going to have to give me the words this weekend because I don't know how to properly communicate this. And I got on Google and I found a sinner's prayer in Spanish because <laughs> I'm a millennial. That's what Google's for. Um, and I wrote it down in my notes and I just asked God to do something that day. And when I got there to the church, two twins that had been coming to our ministry for a while, if you can see, um, they're up in that far corner. I'm in the blue and red shirt. They'd been coming in. They were generally like happy kids. Um, they did not come from a great home life. These boys, both their parents were deaf, and their maternal grandmother lived with them, but she had decided that her daughter wasn't truly deaf. She had decided that her daughter was pretending, um, and so she told the boys they couldn't sign and communicate to their mother in her presence. They couldn't do it in the household. And so the boys would struggle to communicate with their mom and their dad because it was taboo. It wasn't allowed in their family. And their dad didn't attend church. He was um, an alcoholic and abusive. And one sun this Sunday in particular, the boys walk in the room and they start saying, happy, happy, happy. And I kind of looked and I asked them, I said, when did you learn English? And they said, oh, we learned that at school this week. And I said, do you know what it means? And they told me in Spanish what it meant. And I said, yeah, you're exactly right. I said, why are you so happy? And they said, our dad's at church today. And so I looked down, and I saw him pacing back and forth with his baby. And we started the lesson, and I just started to explain the hope we had in Christ that day. I started to tell him about the hope that they had, that what God could do for their family and their life. And we got to the end, and I said, who needs hope in this room? And these little boys shot their hands up. And then I said, hang on a second. I said, have you guys been able to accept Jesus into your life before? And they said, no. And they said, we want that. We want to follow Jesus. So um, that Sunday, the boys accepted Christ. And thanks to technology, we FaceTimed Josh and John because they're like, we want to tell them. We want to tell them. So they, we got to celebrate that moment together as a team. But then just the very next week, we were in lockdown for 80 days. And um, we couldn't go to church. We couldn't meet together. And so quickly, we had to switch to Zoom. 
But these boys would message us back and forth, and they would ask us questions about God and the Bible and what we were doing in our online lessons, and they continued to grow. We can't wait to go home and finally see them and hug their necks for the first time in three years. Because it has, or two, two and a half years, it will be three years by the time we get through the rest of our language school um, and just get to love on them again. But if you'll flip to the next slide, it's more about just planning a children's ministry. We are helping Colombians encounter Christ. There are so many Colombians who they have never had the opportunity to encounter Christ. And that's due to a lack of churches um, and a religious attitude in the nation. Um, the Catholic Church has ruled the nation of Colombia for many years, and it has become something that people just do out of habit. It's not a relationship with God. They don't walk in the doors to seek and find God. They go in just out of habit. And then um, not only that, um, there's been violence in the country for many years that has closed the doors to whole communities. This last time while we were in Medellin, we were in a community that had never had a church before. They had never been able to go in and try and plant a church because it was just too violent for too many years. But over the past month, we've seen our friends finally get to open um, the community center, and they have families coming in. They're learning. Some of them are getting their GED, the Colombian version. Some of them are getting tutoring. They're helping people find jobs. They're building relationship so that in the next year a church can begin to form there. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to get into these hard places where people don't want to go and begin to build relationships so that they'll even be open to the gospel. After that, we're equipping leaders. Um, we believe that children and youth are the future of the church, and Columbia needs more children's and youth pastors. They need people who are passionate about reaching the next generation and discipling them. And so not only will we be helping in a church plant starting up uh, children's ministry and youth ministries, we're going to train people in the local church to do it because we can't be there in one church forever. We need to continue moving on and helping different churches, but we know if we can replicate ourselves, if we can build up leaders, that the church is going to continue for generations as they do the same in return. And then we are expanding uh, the church in the nation of Columbia. Those hard-to-reach areas that have been closed we have this small window of peace right now that is quickly closing in. Um, come May, we have a really important election coming up in the nation that could drastically um, shift our nation, um, not for the better, but towards the way of Venezuela. And so we want to make sure that that church is planted quickly. We want to make sure that people are resourced and ready to go so that if we would ever have to leave, um, like all the missionaries did in Venezuela, the Colombian church could stand on its own it could be able to continue to bear fruit for years like we're seeing in Venezuela right now. So yeah, if you wanna play that video, we'll, I'll come back up. And... There are um, three ways this morning you can partner with us. First and foremost, on your way out the door, stop at our table and grab one of our prayer cards. How many of you know prayer goes before everything? Grab a prayer card, stick it on your fridge, stick it in your car, wherever you're gonna see it every day, and just say a prayer for us because prayer comes before everything and we know that. If this is a little too small as a prayer card, I do have a bigger one on the table. Feel free to grab it. But a few months ago, the, our organization made us change our emails and all kinds of contact information. And I have 2,000 of these that are useless other than our gorgeous picture. So all our correct information is on this little card. <laughs> um, so feel free to grab both. Um, so please pray. Also, you can give. The way our organization works for giving, the only way we can go is if we raise our funds. 
um, and it's through churches and the generosity of people in churches um, to get us back to the field. Um, on the back of the little car, there's actually a, a thing you can scan. We are, I'm not a millennial, but we are caught up to technology where you can scan that and it will designate you towards um, how you can help us and where to give. And then third, if you feel called to go. The need is great. Um, the harvest is ripening, so if you feel called to go, feel free to join, talk to us, and we can get you plugged in on where you can join us, either with us or other places in Latin American Caribbean. If you, um, I was about to say if you have a Bible this morning, turn to, but I'm not going to say that because my message is a little different this morning. Um, as a missionary, me and Pastor Nate were talking this morning about um, somebody he trained under, and he traveled all over, and he had similar sermons, so Pastor Nate was hearing the same sermon all the time. And as a missionary, I have the joy of, since I'm in a different church every Sunday, I generally write two to three sermons, and then I pray about it and say, God, what do you want me to speak today? And I usually, he usually guides me towards those two to three sermons. Ten years ago, a missionary would come into a church and say, I have a word for you today. Can't do that anymore because of COVID. All our words are online. So... Um, <laughs> Can't, can't do, I've never done that, but you can't do that anymore because somebody might see you next week at another church and you say, I have a word for you today. It's the same word from last week. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I believe in the season we are in that God has given me a few different words to share. And even yesterday, as uh, my wife was driving a little bit for me, I was reworking this to where now I don't have a place to tell you to go in the Bible. So we're just going to jump in. Um, this morning, I'm going to talk about the call. The call I believe God has placed. I believe God has placed a call on everybody's life. I believe no matter where you're at with God, no matter if you're a baby Christian, even if you're not a Christian yet, if you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 50 years, I believe God has placed a call on your life. Just as he has placed a call on my life, on Carolyn's life, or even Pastor Nate's life. Calls are different, but nonetheless, everybody's called. The Bible, if we look at the Bible at people's lives, there's different calls for different people. Abraham was 75 when he was called. He was called to create a nation. A nation went birth from his family. Moses was called to free the Israelites from Egypt. A lady named Rahab, who was a prostitute, was called to save two spies. Samson and if I go through these and you guys don't know who I'm talking about, these are good questions to write down to ask Pastor Nate afterwards who these people are. <laughs> Samson in the Bible was called um, by the Lord to help free the Israelites from the Philistines. All the disciples that followed Christ were called by Christ. Saul, who, be, who um, had a visual conversion, was called. Esther was called by her uncle Mordecai to save her nation. The thing about the call is they're not all perfect people. Abraham messed up his call. He jumped the gun. Because of Abraham, we now have a war in the Middle East that's been going on since back in Abraham's day because he jumped the gun and couldn't wait for God. Had a child with another lady, Ishmael. Um... Moses killed an Egyptian before he was even called. As I said, Rahab was a prostitute. Samson had his call, and he gave it all up for a lady, but God redeemed it. 
a guy, Saul, who converted to Paul, Saul killed Christians before his call. The disciples were scared of him. Christians were scared of him because he'd kill them, and God still called him. But the call cost everybody something. Esther chance dying to interrupt the king so her people won't get killed. And through Esther's courage, she saved her entire race. Moses turned against his family. The only people who raised him, he turned against his brother to free the Israelites. But God's people were let out of Egypt. Samson his call was stricken at one point, and he was tortured and beaten and mocked. But in his final, final moments of life, God fulfilled his purpose, and he killed a bunch of Philistines. I told you Rahab saved her family by saving those two disciples when her city was destroyed. The disciples, even though if you read through the Bible, they were all martyred and killed, they spread God's word like a wildfire across the world at that time. What's your call today? You and I are no different than these people. Pastor Nate's no different than any of these people. I think what keeps us from our call is our willingness to follow what God wants us to do. See, my call to ministry, I was called at the age of 13. I remember I was in a church building and I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I felt God call me to be in ministry full time. At the age of, I'm going to mess these numbers up. We met 11, 12 years ago, because we married 10 this year. So at the age of 26, I had a call to do ministry, and I, I met my wife. And when it comes to missions, I did not have a call on my life for that. My wife was called to be a missionary when she was 16. She went and spent a few months down in El Salvador and felt God calling her to missions work. So when we, believe it or not, when we got married, we were um, in premarital counseling because I 100% believe in premarital counseling. And I think it was our third session, and we loved each other, so we were still in that phase of driving to counseling together because nothing was going to separate us. And the pastor doing our premarital counseling, he said, what's your five-year plan? And I kind of laid out what five years looked like for me. And my wife said, we're going to be missionaries. And I looked at her and said, no, we're not. <laughs> and she goes, I feel God's called us to be missionaries. And I said, I do not feel that. And believe it or not, that day, there was crying on both parts. My wife left me at premarital counseling because I... I I'm the man and I make mistakes. And I said, if you want to marry a missionary, go find a missionary. Let's call it off now and just be friends. We were a couple months out, maybe a month out from our wedding. And I said, we'll be friends. I said, that's cool, but go find your missionary. I'm not him. She left me that day. Pastor gave me a ride home. Said, maybe you guys should drive separate to marriage counseling. <laughs> <laughs> Took a week to calm down. We came back. My wife married me anyways. <laughs> Believe it or not, even though we went into this idea of I'm not going to be a missionary four years, five, the five-year mark into our marriage, God had called me to be a missionary. It's the willingness to do what God's called us to do. It's the willingness for Carolyn and I to sell everything we own 
and to move away from family and friends to do what God's called us to do, but more so that call, because a lot of you are sitting here and you're like, I'm not called to be a missionary. This is beyond that. This is what is God calling you to do today? Who is God calling you to reach today? Why are we called? I believe we are called for people because we and the people around us are significant enough in Christ to be used and do something for him. See, Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Ephesians 4.24 tells us, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If we were not significant, God would not have created us to be conformed in his image or to allow us to be created after his likeness of righteousness and holiness. I believe as a church, we miss the part. We were so concerned sometimes about, God, what do you want me to do that we miss that God's asking us to love the person next to us? The greatest commandment in the Bible, Jesus tells you, is to love God and to love others. But we miss that. And sometimes I, I, I question, why do we miss that? I believe we miss that because, one, some of us don't see significance in ourselves to tell others about him. And two, we don't see significance in everybody we come in contact with to share Christ with them. In Genesis, the Bible tells us that God created us in his, in his likeness. See, church, the way we're created in God's likeness, the way our souls are created, we're created to be able to be radically changed by Christ if we're given the opportunity to know Christ. Our souls want it. But we hinder other people from hearing about Christ because we don't feel significant. When God called us to the mission field, I remember I was, I was torn on the idea. Um, I was, be completely honest, when I was 18, I took a missions trip. And I had to dig holes for long hours in Juarez, Mexico, and mix cement by hand. And I was like, I am not called to be a missionary. <laughs> like, that was it for me. I was like, and that was the last trip I ever took. I was like, God, you're not calling me to do this. And when he finally got a hold of me and finally did what he needed to do to change me, I remember, I was like, God, what, what, can I, what do I have to offer? And so what, what, what in me is different than other people that I can give you on the mission field? And then when we decided on Colombia, I was like, God, I don't even speak Spanish. I'm ashamed. My last name's Jimenez, and I know nothing when it comes to Spanish. My parents did not teach me the language. And I remember God just reminding me in the little things. When my wife and I first got married, I ran a restaurant in Grand Junction. And um, I'm, I'm a people person, I guess you'd say. And I remember when we first got married, we'd be out, just the two of us, and people, random people, come up and start talking to me. My wife's like, how do you know those people? And I said, I don't know those people. And we'd have full-on 10-minute conversations, and they walk away, and she goes, who is that? And I said, I don't know. I don't know those people. And I remember we go to the grocery store or Walmart or something, and I go to check out, and I end up having a 10-minute conversation with the clerk. And my wife's like, do you know that? I'm like, no, I don't know. I'm like, I, I don't know those people. 
And then one particular time when we were working through the missions process, we were living up in Cedar Edge helping at our district camp. And I remember my wife wasn't feeling well, and I said, well, I'm going to run to the gas station. I mean, we're in Cedar Edge. There's a gas station right down the road. I said, I'm going to go get you some medicine. So I'll be back in a couple minutes tops. 20 minutes later, <laughs> I get back. But when I walked into that gas station to get, I was like, I'm on a mission. Orange juice, 7-Up, and some kind of flu medicine. That's it. And the guy behind the counter was kind of standing there, and I, I just began to talk to him. One thing led to another. He cried, I cried. I cry a lot. I'm just going to tell you that. I cry a lot. He cried, I cried. And I prayed with him. And God's like, Josh, this is what you got to do. Go to Columbia, learn the language, and love people the way you love people here. Let me do the rest. But I believe we don't see significance enough in people to do that. I believe as a church, we're so caught up in looking for a sign or a big wonder that we forget that God's calling us to the neighbor. God's calling us to the person at the grocery store. God's calling you to whoever you come in contact with. To continue in our story about significance, when we became missionaries, when I was pastoring, I thought I was a big deal somewhat, a little bit. When you become a missionary, it gets worse because you go to churches and pastors are like, oh, man, you're doing it. You're out there. You're doing it. And I'm like, I'm just a person. And when God called us to be a missionary, we got a lot of that. And at first, I'm like, yeah, I am doing it. I am eating the nasty food. I am living away from my family. I don't know what we're doing, but God's called us to do it. And I remember we, for our first as MAs, we, um, under somebody, we, it took us less than a year to raise our funds. And I was excited. I'm like, God, your hand is in this. I said, you called us. We're significant. We get to language school. I am probably in the upper half older people in language school. <laughs> there was about 30 of us missionaries in the school at the time, and I was probably top 10 in older people, maybe top eight. And I remember we started language school, and two weeks in, I get called into the director's office. And it brings back memories of high school getting called to the principal's office. And right away, I'm going through my head, and I'm like, I turn my homework in on time. I show up to class on time. I can't be in trouble at this point. We've only been here two weeks. What could I have done? And the director goes, Josh, just so you know, he goes, your Spanish is so-so. And I'm like, bro, we just started two weeks ago. He goes, you're just, you're not getting it. And I was like, yeah, that's why we're in language school. <laughs> and uh, come to find out, I really wasn't getting it. And he goes, we're going to give you a tutor. And I was like, at that point, I was 30-something years old. And I'm like, really? 30-year-old language school, I need a tutor? I'm like, okay. And he goes, actually, we're going to give you two tutors twice a week. And I was like, dear Lord. So I get out of this meeting, and I, I, I start to poke around, because I'm like, surely we're at the two-week mark. I wonder who else is getting tutors. I asked all 30 students in that language school, and nobody else is getting tutors. <laughs> so I felt about this big. And I had a moment work out, and I said, God, why would you call me here and leave me? Why would you not help me get this language? And, um, and I began to meet with tutors, and I remember. So we started in August that year in language school. And I remember um, every Wednesday they do a Spanish chapel. 
And they kind of pin you against somebody because they pick two missionaries who are in the school and one has to pray in Spanish to open the chapel and the other one has to introduce the speaker. And you kind of feel like it's a competition of who's going to speak better Spanish. And so, of course, in August, I wasn't on that list because I was getting tutors. And then September rolled around, I wasn't on that list, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. Then October rolled around, and I still wasn't on that list, and I was like, God, you got this. I'm going to slide through this. And November hits, and my name's on the list. And I was like, again, I'm like, dear Lord. And I began to look down the list, and I'm like, who's going to show me up today? Who's going to show me up on that day? who knows way better Spanish. And long and behold, my wife is the second person that day. And I was like, I am going to look like an idiot because my wife knows good Spanish. And I remember preparing for that day. I wrote out, I had to introduce the speaker and she was praying and I wrote out my introduction and I even put some jokes in there that didn't quite translate, but the teachers helped me figure out how to make it sound funny in Spanish. And um, it was the director of the school I was introducing. And I remember that day I got up there and I had it written out. We were allowed to read it off a of paper, and I read it perfectly. My phonetics were on, my vowels, everything was right. And in that moment, the director comes up, and he hugs me, and he's crying, telling me, you're going to be able to do this. And I'm crying, because I told you I cry a lot. And I'm like, yeah, I can. And in that moment, I was like, God, you have this. Like, I got this. Because of you, I can do this. I'm like, thank you again for this call. Thank you for reassuring me, learning Spanish. Like, that moment, I was on, I was on a mountaintop. And I remember that the Wednesday was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving that year in 2018. And I remember I went back to our apartment and I was like, Carolyn, she was excited for me. I was excited for me. I'm like, we're going to be able to do this. God's going to move us to Columbia. And within a few hours, our, my cell phone rang from a number from Grand Junction. And my family never calls, so I answered. And it was a doctor from St. Mary's Hospital there in Junction. And they said, Josh, no, they said, Josh your dad is dying. And instantly I was like, I didn't feel so significant anymore. I'm like, God, what is, what is this call you put me on? I said, why is this so hard? And I remember we flew back that Thanksgiving day. We actually got a flight. I told my wife, I'm like, we don't have to go home. My family can take care of it. That morning, my brother calls, and he's like, do we believe in donating my dad, dad's eyes? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> he's like, this doctor has a list of questions. I don't know how to answer them. And he's older than me. And I was like, I looked at my wife, and I'm like, I think we need to go home and deal with this. So we got on a plane, flew all day that day, and flew home. And we were home for about a little over a week. And we called the director of the school, and we said, hey, Christmas break is in two weeks. Can we stay in the States? And he goes, no, you got to come back and do your Spanish finals. And in my head, I'm like, there's no way I'm passing these. But we went back to Costa Rica. We took our Spanish finals. I passed them. Don't know how. And I was kind of in a moment of limbo of like, God, what's next? Like, why is this so hard? And we ended up coming home after Christmas that year because we had to renew visas. We can't be in Costa Rica that long. And I was able to kind of tie up my dad's funeral loose ends and family loose ends. And then I made a decision. We were going back in January of 2019 for language school another four months. And I remember I told my wife, I said, I'm going to dig in. We're going to get it. In four months, we'll be in Colombia. God has us. God has this. And we, um, to make the flights cheaper, we flew in and out of Phoenix that year. And when we got back to Costa Rica, I was a little ill. And I thought it was the flu because of the temperature changes from the U.S. to Costa Rica. And so I didn't think anything of it. 
And about a week at the school, we were doing training, um, new language techniques to learn the language, and just different missionary training, theology. And about a week in, I was sitting in the chapel with everybody, another missionary looks at me and he goes, you don't look good. And I looked at him and I'm like, you don't look good either, bro. Why would you say that to me, jerk? And he goes, no, he goes, your skin is really gray. And I looked and my skin was gray. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, maybe you need to go see a doctor. And that conversation, that joke of not looking good turned into six months of being in and out of a Costa Rican hospital. I went in, they treated me for every parasite known to man in Costa Rica, jungle, jungle parasites, jungle whatever, fevers, killed my immune system. I picked up a parasite in Arizona, <laughs> flying in and out. So as they were killing my immune system to kill their bugs, the US bug was eating me alive inside. <laughs> And I remember being in the hospital and I'm like, God, why would you call me to leave me here? Why would you do this? Didn't feel very significant. During that six months, um, the first couple weeks in the hospital, it took them a couple weeks to figure out what was wrong. Um, at one point, they started stabbing me for um, meningitis. They wanted a spinal tap to rule out meningitis. I remember that night, because the doctor came in. They don't give drugs in Costa Rica. They give you ibuprofen. <laughs> That's the extent of what they give you in the hospital because drugs are a gateway to the drugs, and I don't know. And so I remember they came into a spinal tap and the doctor had my wife leave the room and he stuck me three times, couldn't get it. Finally he goes, he doesn't have meningitis. And I'm like, bro, you didn't even do the spinal tap. <laughs> and I remember he left the room and told my wife, he goes, you gotta make him lay straight on his stomach for about an hour, he can't flip over so nothing leaks out if he poked wrong. And I was laying there and I told my wife, I said, I wanna go home. And she goes, we can't go back to language school. You got to figure out until they figure out what's wrong with you. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I want to go back to the United States. So I am done. We are done. This is over. And that particular night, my wife couldn't hold me down because I don't like to be touched. And a little Costa Rican nurse, I don't remember her name, come into the room and lays on top of me. I don't like to be touched. <laughs> and she begins to pray over me in Spanish. The next day we would find out that her kids are missionaries from Costa Rica to India. We didn't know that that night. The next day we'd find out that God used her in a significant way to speak into my life that night to keep me on the field. And as you fast forward, we, we ended up having to do another trial language school because of six months of being sick, just different things, hernias and this and that. And then my wife tried to kill me because I was allergic to a bunch of stuff after the parasite and she was poisoning me in the food stuck me in the hospital for another week and through all of that we finally get out of language school and we get to Columbia and we're excited we're helping this missionary couple get into this community there, there's not like she said no missionaries have ever been it's not the safest community um, and we're loving on kids and um, about six months of being in Medellin, our missionaries are like, we waited as long as we could for you to get here to help you, but we have to go home. And that's when our boss comes to us and says, I'm gonna need you to move cities. And I was like, but we raised our money saying we were coming to Medellin, we wanna be in Medellin. <laughs> and he goes, you can stay if you want, but you're not gonna have any missionaries over you. And so my wife said, we prayed about it. There was prayer that went into deciding where we were gonna go. Medellin was warm to me, 
And then he listed off like four cities that are even hotter than Medellin. <laughs> and then he listed Bogota. So my wife says we prayed about it. In my head, I was going to a mountain town 8,700 feet in the air that had 40 to 60 degree weather year round. That's where I was heading. God had called me there when he said Bogota, and I looked up the weather for, <laughs> forecast of Bogota. And we got there, and like she, like she said, we were, we were unsure about what was next. And um, we were a little, I was a little frustrated with God that he would move us so much. And just looking back over the year and a half of our life, why so much was happening. And then that day that my wife was able to share Christ with those twins and they came to know the Lord, it, all, it summed it all up. Because in my mind, God said, those twins were significant enough to me that you went through everything you went through to give them an option to accept me. And we would do it all over again if it meant two twins would come to know the Lord. See, church, God's calling each of us. God's calling each of us. We're not all called to Columbia. But right now in your mind, God's calling you to somebody you come in contact with daily. God's calling you to share what's happened in your life already. Because that's all it is. It's a relationship. It doesn't have to be a Saul to Paul conversion calling where a light opens up in heaven and God speaks to you. But God's calling you to share what he's done in your life with somebody else. And when we can truly wrap our mind around that, God will use us to reach the people we come in contact with. It was so easy when we got to Columbia to, to know who the field was because my mission field was anybody I came in contact with because I didn't know them. But here in the US, even as missionaries, our mission field now is whoever we come in contact with. And as a church, God's calling the church. Pastor Nate can't reach the person you buy milk from every week because he may never meet them. Pastor Nate can't reach whoever cuts your grass or plows your yard because he may never meet them, but you do. You meet them regularly. And God wants to use you in a unique calling to reach that person that your pastor can't reach, but you can. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.